Greetings, my fellow Tennessee progressives. This is Rome with the Tennessee Progressive League coming to you this Sunday. And I would just like to talk to you guys for a couple of moments of your day, if you don't mind, about MLK Day and what's going on in Tennessee. Um, and I'm sure you've seen it. A lot of uh, conservatives, you know, they, they definitely tweeted or made their, um, I would say, shallow congratulatory we've made it on racial relations tweets in regards to MLK Day. Um, I know Tim Burchett had one specifically, and um, I know Marsha Blackburn talked with uh, Dr. King's niece, um, which is interesting because obviously, or maybe you don't know, she tends to be more right wing. So it's like, okay, it, I think for Marsha, she thought she was actually like accomplish, accomplishing like a um, two for one type thing. Cause it's like, oh, I get to be the Republican doing the facetious MLK Day post. And also I have his niece who really doesn't actually represent his legacy because uh, he does have children who are very active, but uh, she usually has a right wing slant. So, hey, it's a win win. Um, I do find that really interesting. If you look at what conservatives have to say in regards to the I have a dream speech specifically, um, it's very telling. And also they generally surmise MLK as the I have a dream speech itself. Um, if you ask conservatives, usually their opinion on MLK now, not back then, obviously, but now, um, generally they'll be like, oh, you know, he was for forgiveness and, and, you know, he wanted people to be judged by the content of the character, not the color of their skin. Um, and, you know, I think we're there now. I don't see color usually is what they will say something along those lines. Um, it's funny though, because if you actually look at the substance of the I Have a Dream speech, um, you can tell the way the speech is laid out. It's sort of like, you know, these are the issues, this is the history, here's where we are now, and here's where hopefully we can get to in the future. And it's, it's really weird that conservatives sort of always skip over everything except the, his hopefulness for the future. Um, almost as if like, hey guys, you know, we did it, um, we're here, you know. Um, and that pretty much has the veracity of the George W. Bush mission accomplished banner for uh, <laughs> for the people that are listening that they get that reference, um, for the people that don't. Basically, we, uh, after 9-11 invaded Iraq and, you know, George W. Bush at the president or who was president at the time, um, basically said, you know, we did it, we won, uh, mission accomplished, it's over. And anyone that was alive after that time will know, no, it, it actually was not over. And um, we, I think, still have troops in Iraq right now. Um, actually, I'm pretty sure we still have troops in Iraq. Anyway, uh, that's just another example sort of, of of how conservatives usually sort of just be like, hey, it's over. We won. And like just ignore the ongoing catastrophe. And I feel like that's pretty much the way they do when they talk about the I have a dream speech. Um, one of the things that that is really telling if you actually look at the text of the speech is Martin Luther King Jr. lays out very specific things. Uh, one of those things being police brutality. And as we sit here today in 2022, um, I don't think, you know, 
most people would make the argument that that's gone um, and that it does seem to disproportionately affect people of color uh, in that realm of people of color, black people, more importantly, um, brown people as well. Um, but that's something they don't they don't even really acknowledge. I've never really heard a conservative talk about the I have a dream speech and come away with anything other than, yeah, man, um, it's great that, you know, we, we're, we're there now where we just judge people on the content of their character. Or conversely, uh, Steven Crowder actually said, well, you know, conservatives shouldn't even celebrate Martin Luther King at all because he secretly wasn't really for peace. And then I think he quoted the um, the uh, quote about a riot is the the voice of the unheard that MLK MLK has been quoted to have said. Which, I mean, honestly, I almost sort of give Stephen Crowder credit just for the fact that it seems like he he has a moment of intellectual honesty, and that if you look at what conservatives say they stand for. Policy wise, I mean, they're still adverse to, to Martin Luther King Jr. and his dream. Um, and you can just see that in, for instance, how he specifically mentions obstructions to Black people voting in the I Have a Dream speech. And then if you look at Republican policy, how they don't seem to have any issue with obstructions to Black people voting. I mean, Mitch McConnell even said, well, what was it? African Americans can vote just like Americans or, or something to that effect. Um, it wasn't too long ago he said it, actually. I think it was this week. You can definitely Google it. But it just goes to show that the issues that Martin Luther King Jr. was saying we have to overcome in order to get to a point where people can be judged on the content of their character and not their skin color are things that are still among us. We're still dealing with um, we still have disparities in police interactions with black people. We still have disparities in availability to vote and obstructions being placed in predominantly black areas, um, polling centers being closed in areas that would be frequent, frequently or frequented by black people um, as far as voting and, and things of that nature. Um, I know even locally based in Knoxville, one of the places that a lot of black people used to vote was the love kitchen um, and it was ran by two sisters um, who were black and then it was taken over and once it was taken over all of a sudden um, and it was taken over by someone that was not a person of color but after it was taken over all of a sudden you know they're, they're just not going to do the voting thing anymore and i know a lot of people depended on that facility so i mean that's just uh, a little anecdotal example from Knoxville, but generally the things that Martin Luther King is stating as issues in the I Have a Dream speech still exist. So we're, we're in the midst of it. Like this might as well be a present tense speech, except for something of, of um, obvious nature, like him saying a whites only sign, right? Oh, there's no more whites only sign. But then at the same time, there was just a Jewish couple in Tennessee that basically weren't allowed to adopt a child because they're Jewish. So, I mean, that's not a whites only sign, but I mean, it's definitely discriminatory. 
So how far have we really come? Um, I also want to discuss something that has been on my mind heavy. I've mentioned it previously, but I don't know if you guys remember the Tennessee judge that was facing scrutiny because of her record of jailing children. This was uh, in Rutherford County, and it was Judge Donna Scott Davenport. Well, they had just introduced by, or excuse me, they had just introduced a resolution. And the resolution was going to be to have her uh, disbarred, not disbarred, but um, what, what is the phrasing? What is the phrasing? It would be to like basically have her recalled or have her <clears throat> where she could no longer be the judge of the juvenile court system. Um, oh, that's okay. So I'm looking it up now. This is on the independent. Um, she decided to retire after previously announcing she was going to seek re-election. And she decided to retire one day after state lawmakers filed a joint resolution to impeach. There we go impeach the judge and remove her from the bench over allegations she illegally jailed children. If you don't remember ProPublica and National Public Radio in October of 2021 had done an, did an investigation and they found that the judge introduced uh, several problematic policies. One of them was always an arrest policy with the county's juvenile justice system. Um, and one thing that's so crazy about that, if you look at the rate in which she was like jailing kids. It's just, it, it just really stands out. Um, she was accused of illegally arresting and jailing more than a thousand children, even in cases where there literally was no crime committed. Like they made up a, a crime to arrest them under because they had committed no crime. But for some reason she was like, you know, they, they need to be arrested. Um, it's really, really disingenuous for people to make the argument when when it said that the justice system is you know inherently has racial overtones and people make the argument it does not they're like well what law says you know if you're black you're going to get in trouble or what law blah 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 and see this is the devil's in the details this is where it comes out because we have a lady who says, I'll always look back at my time as judge, one of the greatest honors of my life. So proud of what this court has accomplished in the last two decades. We just saw where you illegally arrested children. Like, why would you be proud of that? And then the race part comes into play because when you look at it, it seems like the children, your policy ensnared disproportionately affected children of color specifically because in her position she was the only juvenile judge in the county under her watch children were jailed in 48 percent of all cases preferred to juvenile court under her jurisdiction now by contrast across the state of tennessee five percent of cases children are jailed so statewide is five percent in her jurisdiction it's 48 percent the majority of that 48 percent are children of color and let's also add that literally some of those uh children jailed had committed no crime at all 
because of her actions, there was a lawsuit and basically a $6 million settlement, which obviously, since they settled for $6 million, someone's aware that what they were doing was wholly inappropriate and wrong. And obviously, lawmakers feel the same, which is why she was about to be impeached. But that goes to the heart of the issue because she's been there for decades. So how many lives were ruined by someone who was cavalier towards children that she could not relate to? That's the problem that we face when we're trying to deal with inherent racism in the justice system inherent racism in the police system. All these things that come into play that affect children of color, that affect poor children, because I guarantee you, I guarantee you, none of the children she had arrested were wealthy. Which once again brings us to Dr. King, because before he died, one of the things he realized was poor people, which black people are disproportionately specifically back then, but still now a part of, were basically the least disenfranchised people in this country. That's why when he died, he was working on the poor people's campaign. So these are things we have to keep in mind when we're discussing the legacy of Dr. King. We have to keep in mind that he realized that there were certain core issues that had to be addressed in American society before we're ever going to get to the realization of the dream where everyone can be judged by the content of their character. Because that doesn't work until we already have an even playing field. I can't at the same time expect equal outcomes when for centuries there hasn't been equal effort put into addressing this issue. And if Republicans really do want to get to the point where American society is colorblind, then they're going to have to do the work of ensuring policies aren't set up to disproportionately affect people of color. That's it. Once you have policies that don't disproportionately affect negatively people of color, that's how you get an even playing field where everyone can be judged on the content of their character. You have to get these judges like Donna Scott Davenport out. You have to weed them out. You have to find where things like this are happening before it gets to the point where 
you have to pay out six million dollars because you let this person have racist discriminatory policy just run rampant for 20 years all right ran over i do appreciate you guys listening this is tennessee progressive league um i do have to apologize about the infrequency of these but hopefully we will be doing it more often Uh, i hope to have different people on here discussing different issues going forward i've reached out to some other progressive groups um in tennessee because I think that is really important for us to all like sort of pull our resources because it's going to take all of us working together to create a uh, progressive Tennessee. So I look forward to uh, hearing from you guys about any ideas you might have about helping Tennessee achieve that progressive future or possibly progressive groups um, out there that you think, you know, deserve a spotlight or attention. So Tennessee Progressively at gmail.com, Tennessee Progressive on Facebook and Twitter as well. And I look forward to hearing from you guys. Thank you for your time on this Sunday and have a wonderful rest of your weekend.